Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the midweek edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host Nipun Chopra. Thank you for joining us. Joining me tonight are Kristen Hennaj and Karthik Krishnar as expected. And we're going to talk about today uh, with the knowledge that we now know the teams that have been relegated. Uh, we'll first review the games from today and yesterday. And then in section two, we will preview the last weekend of what has been an incredible Premier League season. Uh, so let's get ahead, go ahead and get started, gentlemen. Let's start with yesterday's game. There was a lot at stake in this game. Uh, and I'm, Of course, I'm talking about West Ham's 3-2 win over Manchester United. Um, but when we were previewing this game, we, we talked about how we ex- hoped that Manchester United would come out of the blocks hard. But um, Karthik, arguably, what happened before the game in terms of uh, the bus being attacked and things of that nature may or may not have taken the seals out of Manchester United. Yeah, there's no re- way of really knowing. I mean, Louis Van Gaal did not want to use that as an excuse, sir. Right. Uh, to his credit, and said these guys are professionals. Uh, this, we're professionals. We, we we move on beyond that. But uh, you have to wonder because it was um, uh, an acrimonious situation. Uh, final game in Upton Park or bowling, bowling ground, as we're now once again getting accustomed to calling right. it. We called it Upton Park for years and years and years. But um, I guess there was a, a really kind of a frenzied atmosphere, uh, uh, a more uh, heightened kind of. Uh, a frenzy around right. the match. And then with the Manchester United coach arriving late, we saw some very ugly scenes. I, I think it was uh, very disappointing of David Sullivan to come out after the match and uh, blame Manchester United for being late to the ground. We know they've had this problem before when they've stayed uh, near Trafalgar Square and uh, had bust to North London to, to White Hart Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're going to uh, East London to uh, Upton Park. But, um, to, to make that claim uh, and not acknowledge until uh, 12, 18 hours later after the fact that, oh, yes, we have some fans that uh, acted out, uh, out of school and they're going to face lifetime bans if we identify who they are. But the original, the initial West Ham reaction was, hey, you know, Manchester United, their coach shouldn't have arrived late. Right. Um, so I think it certainly did affect Manchester United. It might have affected West Ham too, though. They're right. ready. Their players are all all, uh, all fired up, ready to go for this special occasion, final game at the bowling ground, and they're ready to uh, kick at 45 past uh, 7 local time, and they don't end up kicking off till 8.30. So it might have affected both teams. Yeah, it's an interesting one for, from my perspective. Uh, I think uh, it somehow managed to fire up the West Ham team, whereas it kind of uh, 
force United back into their shell. Or, or maybe, as you said, we'll never know because, honestly, we, what we have seen from Manchester United is that every time they're put under pressure, they kind of shrivel uh, all of the season. And I think that's what happened. And Chris, one player that struggled in particular was Daly Blint. Uh, Daly Blint, of course, known to have played left back, uh, you know, an overlapping left fullback center midfield at the start of the season because of injury issues in preseason actually was converted to uh, one of three center backs at the time Van Hall was playing a 3-5-2 over the season was converted to one of a two back with uh, oh, sorry a, f- a flat back four with two central mid uh, central defenders with him and Smalling and there have been a few games where he has struggled and this one will go down as one of his most ineffective at full ba- at center back mm. But his position was very poor. That was what I know. Is, is that again? And I had this debate with Jimmy Conrad a little bit. Someone knows more about defending than I do. Um, it to me, it, it pointed to someone who wasn't confident in the defensive structure around him, because his instinct, or his, his instinct, excuse me, was always to drop back and to to give himself an extra few yards, perhaps to try and sweep up to try and cover. Mm-hmm. I think what you you can say about him is he's not a centre-back he's very good on on the ball I think he retains it in those kind of difficult moments where a defender's chasing him with his with his kind of uh, face chasing him with him facing his own goal but again there's there's nothing convincing about what he's doing it it does feel like a very awkward fit I think what you could say about Daly Blind is that he had troubles at Ajax he was not as fondly thought of uh, at the start of his Ajax career as he was at the end. There was a lot of calls of nepotism and the fact that he was only there for his father's name and, and that kind of thing. So I don't think this will crumble him mentally. I think what you have to do is, though, you have to really just assess that squad and, and start to to actually plug holes and define where you want players to play. This is something that I think Bowen Hargreaves struggled with. Right. The notion that he could play a variety of different positions and it was actually used as, as one of the, the circumstances for why he didn't have more England caps was he was too versatile which sounds such a bizarre thing to say for football but I think for Daily Blind he needs to undergo a, a, a similar sort of process that Hargreaves did where he nails down a position and that is his position and that bar emergencies or crises he's not used anywhere else. Yeah I have some sympathy for Daily Blind I must admit uh, I think out of all the games he has played at centre-back which have been quite a few this season I think he's succeeded and done well in almost all of them but the ones that he hasn't have stuck out in my mind uh, in with the commonalities that he's been bullied off the ball the first example being the opening fixture against Gomish uh, fixture against Arsenal this fixture against Carroll uh, and I think that's something that Louis van Gaal will be looking at but at the end of the day I put the blame on Louis van Gaal and Karthik I want to bring you in here when we were previewing the game we were talking about how if United doesn't get the three points, a three points that would have pretty much guaranteed that they would have uh, ended up with top four, we have to seriously question the motivational and tactical influence of Louis van Gaal. And how do you, where do you stand on that now? Well, I, I mean, as a season as a whole, I don't think we need to do that for this match. This was an exceptionally tough match. If you look at, uh, if you take a mini league of the top six teams in the league and you, 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 you do a table of them within one another, um, West Ham had 25 points against the other uh, top seven teams in the league, top six teams, top seven teams, I guess it is. Uh, Manchester City, for example, had seven points. So this is a good team. You're playing away from home in that atmosphere. Final game at, at their Howell ground where they've been for over a century. 
yeah, it's, I think it was going to be very difficult. So I, I don't want to take anything away from this match. But over the course of the season, I think the big issue with Louis Van Hall has been he has not been able to get consistently great efforts out of the guy, the highest uh, price players in the Manchester United squad. Now, Anthony Martial is still a young player, right. and uh, uh, he played well again in this match, but he had he had a massive dip in form. Memphis Depay, we talked about, we don't need to get back into it. Everything Chris said on the last show, um, I, I, I associate myself with and, and, and agree with. And I, and I think uh, that's another failure on his part. Wayne Rooney was hit or miss. Juan Mata was hit or miss. Uh, he did do well with a lot of the young players. So I think uh, uh, certainly... Uh, uh, Rashford turned out to be a revelation. Je- uh, Jesse Lingard, for the first time, after being loaned out however many times and, and seemingly discarded, uh, finding a role in the t- team. Uh, Bothwick Jackson, finding a role in the team. Uh, so there, there have been some positives, but uh, it might be too too little, too late for uh, for Von Hall. The team looked more, uh, looked more solidified these last few weeks, I have to say. Uh, it's up to the United board on what they want to do. Uh, do they risk um, bringing in a Mourinho? Uh, or, or do they go in another direction with, with a, uh, a calmer, more thoughtful, long-term solution? Uh, now, if they do bring in Mourinho in the situation where the Premier, Premier League is very topsy-turvy at the top, yeah, maybe he wins the title next year, adding a, just a couple parts to this team. Uh, but then, you know, what happens afterwards <laughs> is is, uh, is probably not worthwhile if you're Manchester right. United. Yeah, look, Manchester United has – I don't want to get too deep into this, Nipun, but I'll just let – on this, for those who weren't listening earlier in the season, we've had this discussion or have written the articles about it, that I've written about this topic. Manchester United has a definitive global brand that Chelsea did not have. Now, you, you might this might sound disrespectful to Chelsea, but for Chelsea, which has a different image and a different persona to their club, it's okay to have Jose Mourinho as your manager. For Manchester United, I'm not sure it fits the image uh, that the club is so carefully and, and thoughtfully cultivated over the course of uh, uh, the last 20 or 30 years. So um, I, I'm not sure he's the, he's the fit. And if he isn't, maybe you just stick with Van Hoff for another year. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I think uh, the board has a difficult decision. I think regardless of what they decide, there will be a huge subset of Manchester United supporters that will be disappointed. If Van Hall leaves and Mourinho comes in, I think a lot of people will be happy. But people like myself will have the same concerns that you do. Uh, if Van Halt stays, people like myself will be disappointed. Uh, so it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for the United board uh, and one Ed Woodward. Let's move ahead to a, a, a club that we know for sure will not have their manager. It was a, a very entertaining game between Liverpool and Chelsea. Chris, uh, breathless start to the game, end-to-end, lots of chances, uh, and what I found interesting looking at the – obviously, there was not much to look at in terms of the the importance of this game. But what I did find interesting was I thought LFC uh, – Liverpool played what I believe will be their starting eleven a week from today. They did. And I think the thing that jumped out to me about this game was, was Eden Hazard's goal because, right. <laughs> again, you would not think that he's had an atrocious season given the way he's played in – that Tottenham game and then tonight, because again, the, the goal against Liverpool was everything that you think is brilliant about it has in terms of his close control and his dribbling ability and his ability to slice through the lines is more important. And I think that's one of the big things that, that Chelsea have missed. Again, at, at this point, Chelsea are playing for their own personal pride. Um, it's a difficult situation for them because, again, the manager isn't in yet. They've also got 
if you assume everybody has to come back to the club who's out on loan, a vast squad, and I mean a vast squad, to then cipher, or sieve through, excuse me, and, and work out who's staying, who goes back out on loan, who's being sold permanently. It's going to be a heck of a job for, for them over the summer. I think what you could say is that actually in these last few weeks, you perhaps realise that, that some of the players aren't as bad as, as maybe have we've been led to believe with uh, the press reports. But for guys like Hazard, I think he's playing for a move. I think right. I think everything about his demeanour and, and all of that stuff says, I, I, I want to be out of this football club. I've, I've had a fun time, but it's, it's also time to move on. Meanwhile, Karthik, Another good performance from Matic, someone we saw or we discussed uh, in the review podcast. And from a Liverpool perspective, I want to talk to you about Benteke. Uh, about four or five months ago, we were recording with, uh, with Richard. And uh, I remember talking about how we all sort of felt that Benteke's future was away from Liverpool. But I think it's important to note that not only has he come into form and is, is fit now, he gives Klopp an, a different option than he's, one he's ever had before. Uh, in terms of what he had at Dortmund and at Liverpool. So maybe there is a, really a future for him, in spite of the fact that he's been written off by most Liverpool supporters. He is able to give Klopp a tactical flexibility that he didn't have before. Right. He's, it's a very different kind of striker than uh, the, the strikers that they have on their, uh, uh, right now. Sturridge, Origi, and, um, and Danny Ings, who all play uh, a, a very kind of um, or, or, or Firmino quick, played or in that role as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, Firmino played in that role an awful lot. You're right. This season, we, we don't think of him as an out-and-out number nine. But there were ma- there were matches this season where Klopp went without a recognizable striker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you cause, because I, I saw the way this match progressed and the ability of Liverpool chasing a game to be more, more direct and to use. Um, Benteke's uh, physicality to their advantage late in the match, and, and especially with someone, uh, uh, Mikel has played decently at, right. at center back, but someone who's not comfortable and familiar with playing that position, um, unfortunately doesn't speak very highly of uh, the young American Matt Miazga, Miazga. that uh, uh, Mikel is getting, yeah, is getting the start at uh, center back. Uh, that's uh, uh, Heating's uh, philosophy with this whole thing. Uh, but um, yeah, I think Benteke certainly gives them another option, and Klopp has to Think about this. It again depends on who they bring in. I think Klopp is very happy with Origi and is going to keep him. A Sturridge, what to do with Sturridge? Because when he's fit, he's uh, one of the most unplayable players in English football. Right? right? From a, for, if you're For a defender, sure. uh, but but he, he, his fitness is, is a serious issue. And, and they've got Danny Ings coming back, so maybe they won't buy a striker this summer. In which case, maybe you you, you do. You keep Benteke because he's very different than the other three guys I just mentioned. Yeah, it would probably depend on the how he does at the Euros as well. If he has a good Euros, I guarantee Liverpool will keep him. And if he doesn't, maybe they'll be a little... But it's more... the same deal. It might be the same deal as at Liverpool. Origi is probably right. going to keep him out of the lineup at the Euros if Origi's fit. Uh, I sense he'll start. And of he, course, uh, Lukaku. Uh, Lukaku. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, uh, good points. And, and we'll definitely talk about Liverpool in more detail next week uh, after their... Champions League, oh, sorry, Europa League final. Uh, let's talk about the other two games. Uh, the one that had more importance to the relegation battle, Chris, was Sunderland's comfortable win over Everton. Um, goals coming from Van Arn- Arnholt uh, and, of course, uh, Kone as well. So the Van Har- Arnholt thing I think is interesting. Before the summer, as the signings that uh, were made by Allardyce in January, he really was their most 
impressive attacking outlet, even though he was coming off from a left back most of the time. Uh, another good goal, an important performance from them, and it guarantees yet another season of Premier League football. Yeah, well, if, if you talk to, to Mo Sunderland fans, I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with Patrick Van Arnold's attacking. Um, it tends to be... Uh, Sounds I, I like uh, the story of both their fullbacks. Yeah, in, in many ways. I think what you saw tonight was a Sunderland team who were motivated, organised, really up for, for securing this now and not needing the final day of the season against a team in Everton who are just the antithesis, just could not care in the slightest, are so bereft of, of kind of anything resembling motivation that they would just bowled over. And, and I think, again, everyone is pointing to what this means for Martinez. I'm inclined to think similar, that if he can't motivate them at all at this point and they look so abject, you have to question how long his tenure at that football club will last. I think what you can say about Sunderland is, is a few things is that, again, Sam Allardyce has, has done a solid job. The notion that he's done a sensational job, I'm, I'm not fully convinced of because, again, you had a Norwich team there who I think for the most part is a championship team and a Newcastle team that was given to Rafa Benitez outside of a transfer window with 10 games to go. So that it's it's more it's more a case of essentially standing on top of the the really weak opponents than than actually hauling yourself out of it. I think what you have to say for the long term vision of Sunderland is this has to be a, a changing point for them. This has to be a turning point for them because so often, whether it be derby games or survival or, or whatever you want to talk about, when they've succeeded in something and done something brilliant, the next step has always been a misstep for them. And I talked about it tonight, I tweeted it tonight, that actually I thought for the first time there was a little bit of difference relative to the recruitment of Sunderland in the sense that it was Kone, Kasri, uh, Kirchhoff, they got players that they knew they kind of needed and they were well-vetted players in that sense. And that for me just maybe gives that little bit of glimmer, like that hope that finally Sunderland can start to to become the football club that I kind of grew up watching and, and grew up um, seeing in terms of being successful with Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn, it's been a long time since those days were, were around when they were, you know, vying for a place in the the top half. But I think with Sam Allardyce, they move a step closer with that. Whether they do it under him, I think that's a debate for a different time. But you have to commend Allardyce at least because he's ground it out in, in perhaps not the prettiest fashion. But I, I don't think the, the record books will tell you how pretty it was just that it happened. Right, Karthik uh, with. Everton, I have my tail between my legs, so I'm not going to ask you any question about Everton. But let me ask you something else about Allardyce here. Uh, jumping off of what Chris has said here. With Allardyce, with his managerial uh, history, he has had these exceptional uh, escapes from relegation battles, but has not been able to take the next step. And with with the with what Chris has said, with the fact that Chris uh, Sunderland themselves have struggled to take the next step, can you see Allardyce? Will you, do you think Allardyce will be at the club come January uh, 2017? Well, well, history would tell us uh, no, based on not not Allardyce's history, but Sunderland's history. This is the fourth successive season they've escaped from the drop uh, in the last week or two of the season mm-hmm. after switching their manager during the season. It was O'Neill to Decanio, Decanio to Payet, Payet to Advocat, Advocat to Allardyce now. So history tells us no. I do agree with Chris, though, and, I, and I've written, actually wrote an article about this uh, 
a, a while back, which was going to make me look pretty bad if Newcastle stayed up because uh, at the time Rafa wasn't managing Newcastle. And I have to say, if Newcastle had brought in Rafa, let's say three weeks earlier, we might not be having this conversation. You know, we might not be lauding Big Sam again because I think I think there is a fundamental uh, shift in the way Newcastle was approaching. Uh, each match and uh, a safety first approach, but a, a more of a team unity, a team harmony that Rafa was building. He just didn't have enough time. Uh, they were uh, pretty, they were almost cut adrift when he came in and uh, he almost rescued the situation, right? He came close. So uh, that having been said, uh, we'll have the Newcastle discussion another time. I think the three players, uh, Dom and Doy is the fourth and he's only on loan, but the three players that were bought permanently, Kone, uh, Kirchhoff, and uh, Kosri, and Kosri was some of that Richard, or, or, or colleague, Richard Farley, had, had touted uh, when Big Sam signed him. I think that is a different kind of long-standing, long-lasting transfer policy from Sunderland, as opposed to the kinds of players we've seen him sign in the past, which were based around, let's stay up this year and, and damn the consequences, uh, the likes of the Jack Rodwells and, and, and so on and so forth. So I think um, Allardyce, uh, you know, to a certain Extent, I think Dick Advocat was right. I know there are a lot of people saying, well, Allardyce proved Dick Advocat wrong. Advocat said the squad wasn't good enough to stay in the Premier League. Advocat was right. Uh, Kone, Kirchhoff, and Kazri, uh, along with Jermaine Defoe, those would be the four key, and maybe Borini. Those five guys really were the keys to keeping them in the Premier League. Three of them were brought in January. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, we'll go ahead and switch to the final game we're going to review today. Uh, Norwich beating Watford comfortably. And Chris, we have to start with the question, where was this performance for the last month? Where was this performance last week when they needed to beat and probably should have beat Manchester United? I guess it's maybe a pressure thing. That's that's the only thing I can think is that, again, it's, it's an element of pressure. And I think there's a psychological theory. This is very one-on-one basic, so hang with me on this one. I'm ready. Called Championship Choke, where when you're expected to win, which is kind of what Norwich were expected to do against Man United, given their poor away form, that's when you tend to, to fluff up, or you're most likely to fluff up. Um, I can just picture us now having a psychology major or something correcting me on this. <laughs> but, but I think that's kind of what it is. It, it's that notion of they put so much pressure on themselves to win the game at Carroll Road against Man United that they overthought everything. And again, part of it is a quality issue as well, in the sense that Norwich. Which, and I've seen fans of Norwich talk about this, they haven't invested their money in a way that befits a club wanting to stay in the Premier League. They bought players like Robbie Brady, who was impressive in spells, but cannot be your marquee signing. No disrespect to Robbie Brady. Because actually what I mean by that is he has to be one of a few quality additions that you make. Your left winger is highly unlikely to keep you in the Premier League. The fact that they got Mbakani in January was a big help. But that's the kind of signing you should maybe be looking to make in, in the summer, along with similar quality. Because, again, this is this is the thing. The Premier League's all about money, whether you want to acknowledge it or you want to try and romanticise it a different way. It's the money, it's the league with all, all the money. And how you spend that will often define how well you do. And I, I just think Norwich, they operated like a team that weren't a Premier League team for for a good portion of, of the summer and, and it's cost them again and I think some of that is rooted in the fact that they were burned last time with the likes of Van Wolfswinkel again you have to take risks though you can't just sit in, in on your hands so to speak and, and try and bring 
in someone who I, I think it's very. I think Chris is spot on. So uh, Norwich is, is promoted after the 2010-2011 championship season. That summer, they basically bought a division down under Paul Lambert. They brought in players like Anthony Pilkington, who had been playing uh, at Huddersfield Town, and, and brought in a number of other guys who had been playing in the championship uh, to enhance their squad. And lo and behold, they finished 11th or 12th in the league, and then the following season didn't make many changes to the squad uh, I think Chris Hutton brought, brought in uh, uh, Nathan Redmond, who was a player he had had at Birmingham City, and same deal. Uh, they were fine. So uh, that's buying down a division again. So when they went into the market uh, the third year in the Premier League and got Van Wilsinkle and Leroy Fair and both blew up in their face faces, I think they reassessed the next time they came up they were going to buy a division down or uh, make lateral moves for players uh, like uh, a Robbie Brady who had been relegated. And um, it didn't work out. It's as simple as that, but I think Chris's analysis is spot on. They were the Van Wolfsinkel and Leroy Fair. I would, I would throw the Fair transfer in there too. Completely skewed the way Norwich approached uh, their return to the Premier League this season, and probably did them in. When when we do a season review podcast a week from today, we will talk about the overarching implications of all of the things that have happened in terms of the relegation battle and the top four, which will be decided this weekend. So in order to do that, to preview the games, including the top four, the games that apply to the top four, we will come back for section two. So hang in there. We'll be right back with section two of the World Soccer Talk podcast. All the games this weekend start at 10, p, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time uh, on Sunday and we will go through all of them and tell you which ones you should be watching. Well, the two that have the biggest implications right now are the are the games between Swansea, Manchester City, and Manchester United versus Bournemouth. So, Karthik, let's start with the Swansea versus Manchester City game. Swansea in a really good run of form. And let's set up what the scenario is here. If Manchester City wins or draws, they'll get top four. If they draw, they're equal on points, but their goal difference is far superior. If they lose and Manchester United wins... Manchester United gets fourth. So this is a difficult game for Manchester City. Swansea, as I said, Swansea is in good form. What do you expect to happen here? Well, first off, I, I believe Goodayin has uh, agreed to a contract extension. So Swansea is not going to be looking for a manager, at least for some reports to that extent, that he, he'll be staying on for uh, contractually for another two seasons. He's done a very good job of uh, rescuing them. Um, they were in a very, very bad spot when he took over from Gary Monk. Or when he took over... After they had um, uh, uh, kind of bumbled and stumbled to find a manager for for some time, so uh, Swansea staying in the division uh, absolutely actually have an opportunity to finish tenth uh, uh, or eleventh in the league. Who would have thought that uh, right. when uh, Francisco Goodling came in? So uh, that uh, good finish to the season. They're in very good form, as you stated. So I think um, this is a difficult game for Manchester City. Manchester City has a very poor record on the South Coast against Southampton, Swansea. Uh, and the season Cardiff was up in, in the Premier League. Uh, poor, poor record uh, against those clubs. But knowing they only need a point, I, I think they're probably going to get it. It'll probably be a 1-1 draw, uh, a bit of a routine game, um, professional effort, which uh, uh, which eliminates Manchester United then from Champions League consideration, assuming Manchester United gets the three points against uh, Bournemouth. Yeah, I expect a 2-0 uh, lead, Swansea to take a 2-0 lead, and then a Aguero goal uh, finally in the last minute to tie it up to make it 2-2. <laughs> uh, 
uh, breaking all our hearts. Uh, Chris, <laughs> let's talk about Manchester United Bournemouth. I think uh, on paper, yet again, a very routine fixture. But one thing we've learned about Manchester United is that routine fixtures this season have met absolutely nothing. Uh, they tend to fold under pressure, and there's only one counterexample of that, and that's the second leg against FC Michelin. So it's possible United might drop, drop points here. I don't think so. I think Bournemouth are very much content with their position. There's not really a great deal to fight for, if anything. I think a lot of eyes, or potentially eyes on their squad, are actually in the Euros because that's the more pressing concern at this precise moment. And, and again, I think with Manchester United, as you rightly say, they're, they're impossible to predict this season. Um, no sooner have you expected them to do something and they completely tank, or vice versa. And what I would say to, to Van Hall is, with the last home game of the season, now's the opportunity to convince those who haven't filled out their season ticket renewals yet to fill them out. Because, again, for all the, the talk of, of loyalty and, and this kind of thing, and it comes around so often at the end of the season, will, will the relegated teams have loyalty? Will those at the top have loyalty? Football is becoming an ex- increasingly more expensive pursuit. And there are other ways you can invest your money, which, again, I think is becoming painfully aware to Man United fans at present. And I think he needs to give them a little bit of a, a send-off, something to, to really kind of hang their hat on for the rest of the summer because I think it's going to be a long summer for them. Yeah, they do have the FA Cup to look forward to, but your point is well taken, especially uh, with the game being at Old Trafford. Uh, one manager that this could be the penult- the, this could be the last game for Karthik, uh, something that you've been talking about for six to eight months, maybe, no, actually much longer than that, is... Um, Roberto Martinez, Everton plays Norwich at home. <laughs> Everton have been horrendous for the last month or so, even worse than they were earlier on. Uh, just hemorrhaging goals as if it's their literally their job now. Uh, Norwich, although they have been relegated on the back of a good result today, how do you see this playing out? I think Norwich probably get a result in this game, and that's it for Martinez. Uh, uh, Nor- Norwich will play uh, with some freedom now that they've been... Uh, uh, relegated, we saw that. I, I think Chris makes a very good point. There was a lot of pressure. There was an expectation. After all, they had won at Old Trafford earlier mm-hmm. in the season, so there was an expectation that they beat Manchester United, and they didn't. Um, now, with the pressure off, we saw the sort of performance they could give against a Watford team that's in similarly poor form to Everton. Right. So, I think um, one way or another, this will be um, the last match. Uh, I presume for Timmy Howard, I, I think he's going to get the start. And um, Joel certainly did nothing in, in the game midweek game against uh, Sunderland to, uh, to, to to justify any faith that anyone would have in him as a starting keeper. Um, uh, this will be a send-off for Timmy Howard and probably will be a send-off for Roberto Martinez, too. I can't see any way he stays his manager next season. Yeah, probably a send-off for Lukaku and Barkley possibly as well. So uh, let's talk about what will be the final game for at least a year at St. James's or Sports Direct Arena. Uh, Newcastle plays Tottenham, Chris. Uh, first of all, will you be able to go the, go to this game? Uh, I mean, I can do. Actually, I'm trying to think what time we're recording. I, I could potentially go as, as, as media. Yeah, but there's a potential for that. Yeah, well, I, I just... My commiserations... <laughs> that wasn't live from my brain. Alarm I mean, for <laughs> flash of intelligence kind of thing. Well, I expect some kind of, there, there's yes. some to, something to play for here for Tottenham. If they, a draw or a better will guarantee that Tottenham finishes above Arsenal, whereas Newcastle players will be playing, hopefully playing for their fans. I expect lots of uh, uh, lots of Mike Ashley out signs yet again uh, at the stadium. Uh, what do you expect in this game, Chris? 
That's the funny thing. I think it goes one of two ways, potentially. Either you get vitriol from the stands aimed directly at the owner and Lee Charney, who I think for those outside of the northeastern England, he's very much the man to blame because he was the man appointed to oversee the football club. So I actually kind of removed himself. It's not to say that he's not bereft of blame. He has a lot of blame because he hired the monkey to play with the organ grinder. <laughs> I think what I would say is, is that this is where it sits on such a fine line. It could have that vitriol. You could also have, essentially, 90 minutes of organised pleas from Newcastle fans for Rafa Benitez to stay. Because consistently, all I've seen from Newcastle fans, maybe the last seven to ten days, even more so in the days leading up to the game between Sunderland and Everton, is that if Rafa goes, there's nothing to hold on to. There's no kind of glimmer. Because... As few games as he had to work with the club, he's turned them around quite significantly as a football team. He's also, I think, given them a sense that they're in safe hands. Even though they've been relegated, I acknowledge that completely. But the the vibe and the sort of mood around the club changed quite significantly while he's been there. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that, again, you've had stories whether they've come from Rafa, whether, they, whether they've come from Mike Ashley's own PR people, saying that he would consider it, saying that he's been a little bit bowled over by the support he's received. That's why I think you could see a really strong and almost emotional kind of call for him to stay. And, and like I say, there's no other word to use. It will be begging because at this point, he's the only positive for them to really anchor their emotions in. Southampton at home against Palace, Karthik. Uh, we know Southampton's been in really good form of late. Uh, they have, they're still trying to fight for a European spot. Uh, they're scoring goals for fun. Mane has been in form, as has Tadic. And we know Palace struggles away from home. So I think Southampton firm favorites in this game, maybe even a 3 nothing. Yeah, Palace has played a little bit better. I mean, it's a relative term. A <laughs> yeah. little bit better of late. In that they uh, haven't but, lost 35 uh, games in a row. <laughs> yeah, but when, when uh, Southampton is in one of these moods, they tend to steamroll teams, don't they? Um, <laughs> and I think they're they're there now. They're right. uh, they're, they're back to steamrolling people. So, yeah, I'll go with a 3-0 also. That sounds about right. And and I have to say, uh, it's an, it's quite an accomplishment for a player, Asado Mane, Mon- uh, we don't know where he's going to be next season. Man United, Man City, they're going to come in for him again. He scored double-digit Premier League goals two successive years playing as a, as a winger um, right. or playing in kind of a hybrid winger attacking midfield position. That's a that that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, that's a great return for a player playing in that position because, as Chris rightly noted earlier in the show, you don't win, uh, you don't stave off relegation or win a Premier League or or what have you uh, because you sign a a winger. Uh, in, in the case of Robbie Brady, and, and that was my attitude towards Mane also, but he's uh, had a pretty incredible goal return for a player playing out there. Speaking of incredible goal returns, Watford against Sunderland, Watford with two uh, two strikers that had a good goal return in the first half of the season, Sunderland with Defoe, who's had a very good, ter- a terrific second half of the season. Uh, this game doesn't mean much now, Chris, in terms of uh, the fact that Sunderland has secured Premier League status, but given the form Watford and then are in, and given the form Sunderland are in, Sunderland firm favourites in this game, would you agree? I mean, possibly. I can almost see the squad turning up in flip flops and open cans of beer, to be honest, because the, again, they have nothing to play for in a sense. They're right. completely safe, and I imagine 
a bit similar to like those Leicester players who won the, the title. Because in fairness, Jan Kirchhoff did actually say it was like winning a title, which again, funny, funny thing to say, but I guess it, that's probably as close as you can compare it. They've got nothing to play for, so kind of the the. I imagine they will be on one hell of a party, ironically, likely in Newcastle, um, for the next few days until the end of the weekend, and then they turn up and just see out the ninety minutes. I, and and what offered in fairness are in a similar position. I think if you're wanting to watch a final game of the season, maybe give that one a miss because I don't think it will be the most exciting personally. I think that's fair. Karthik Stoke plays West Ham. Uh, we heard reports that Charlie Adam has been suspended by the club uh, for a, an apparent leg-breaking tackle in training. Um, but even though West Ham are playing well on the back of this result against United and could finish as high as fifth if they win, I have a feeling somehow that Stoke is going to show up uh, with the kind of football that Hughes wants them to play and they'll end up winning a 3-2 here. Well, uh, well, I... It's hard to see that many goals with these teams, but uh, the Charlie Adam thing is, is interesting. It's a tad bit ironic for me because on Friday, uh, I was at the press conference where Orlando City and Stoke City formalized their partnership. There's been a relationship the whole time, right? But uh, formalized a partnership between uh, the MLS club and the Premier League club. Mm-hmm. And my question, I, I didn't ask Phil Rollins this directly, but was asking other media was, you think maybe we could see Charlie Adam in, in Major League Soccer, <laughs> see him in Orlando? And uh, it turns out I, I, there, there's a stronger likelihood of that after this. Um, Stoke had played, played very poorly uh, down the stretch, and, and West uh, West Ham really have um, not uh, a whole lot to play for because of, of um, uh, the tiebreaker situation in England. But I, I think they want to finish on a high note. I'll say a draw here. All right. Chelsea versus Leicester City, Chris. It's the old champions against the new champions, uh, a game that hopefully – will be remembered in terms of the fact that it was a passing of the baton between two clubs that we never thought the baton would be passed, passed across from. Uh, based on recent games, Chelsea is much improved. As you talked about, uh, in particular, Eden Hazard has been terrific in the last two or three games. Uh, it should be an entertaining game, hopefully uh, one that Premier League neutrals would love to watch out of all the games that have been played. I fancy Chelsea in this game. You? Um, again, it's another one. I, th- I think I think you'll just see Leicester equally as determined as they were against Everton. Don't get me wrong; Chelsea will not be as soft a proposition. I, th- I think again, I imagine there are junior teams who want to play Everton at this precise moment just to build confidence. Um, it's it's a funny and bizarre situation because essentially, I, do they do the guard of honor again? I believe they do, don't they? Right. Or is it just for that? Yeah. Yeah, they will. So they will. again, they'll have to do that for, for Claudio Ranieri, which to me is far more interesting than anything that will happen on the pitch between the two teams. Um, I think what you you could say is is that again, if you're looking to to try and define motivations for Leicester, it's to go out on a high and win again, and essentially cement the notion that they are champions, they are deserving champions, and no one has handed them this title. For Chelsea, you're looking at the few who were there who don't want to be there to sell themselves. And I think, again, I always find it interesting to watch those final day performances because they are very much at either end of the spectrum. So you either get very meek, timid performances reaffirming how poor players have been during the season, or you get these sort of out-of-your-skin, 
world-class performances because a player is desperate to leave and wants to just catch the eye of someone. So I think there's a good chance that you will see Leicester win this, but I think you'll have a very spirited Chelsea performance from at least some quarters in there as well. You know that now that we're talking about it, I know what we'll see. We'll see, given the fact that John Terry's actually suspended, we'll probably see him in a Leicester City outfit getting ready for the celebrations. Full kit, full kit Leicester City. You'll see it, John Terry. All right. Would you hand him a new contract if, if you could, just out of curiosity? If uh, both of you, if, if you had the opportunity to, to give him a contract or send him on his way, which would you do? I think at this point, I'd probably send him on his way. I think Chelsea need to rebuild under Conte, and I think they need to get rid of John Terry, who is really the vestige of the old guard under Mourinho. I think it's time for a new day at Chelsea. Yeah, I, I, tend, I tend to agree. I mean, if Mourinho, if Mourinho was still the manager, then you keep JT mm-hmm. yeah, until he leaves. But uh, I agree. Well, West Brom versus Liverpool, Karthik. Uh, we expect a completely rotated Liverpool side. Yeah. Karthik, uh, and uh, probably a narrow one nothing win for Liverpool. Uh, maybe a narrow 1-0 win for West Brom. I can see yeah. them winning this, getting to 45 points. Tony Pulis, uh, uh having his team, at least when we look back in the future, appears uh, like they had been sa- uh, very safe all season, which they basically were. Right. But uh, they've struggled. Once they got to 40 points, they began to struggle. Once they got to 38 points, uh, Liverpool's going to rotate completely. They have bigger, uh bigger item to worry about on Wednesday night. And that's, uh, again, a massive day in the history, in the new history of Liverpool Football Club because if they can win the Europa League and uh, add another European trophy to that uh, trophy case, which I know, Nafun, you hate to hear it. It's uh, bigger <laughs> than any club in England when it comes to continental football, bigger than anyone other than uh, Real Madrid and, and, and Milan and, and maybe Barcelona, uh, comparable to Barcelona. Um, in this era where they've been on the down, uh, I think it's uh, it's something the club has to do. It's, it's a chance they have to take. So I expect them to rotate everybody other than maybe uh, goalkeeper Mignolet. I don't know if they want to risk Adam Bogdan again. Um, But probably 10 changes in the field, I would think. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, much credit to Klopp, who's been able to do this without really having any influence uh, in the transfer market. So pretty exciting times for Liverpool's supporter to see what he's able to do, what he's able to bring in in the summer. Final game, Chris. Arsenal at home against Villa. Arsenal have been rocked by the news that Welbeck is out for pretty much all of 2016 now we'll probably see him in 2017 um with another knee injury i, I keep can't help but think the same uh inj- injury issue that he had as a kid at united the oscar schlatter is continuously hampering his career so i have a lot of sympathy for welbeck and a lot of anger towards manchester united supporters who are somehow celebrating this fact it's pretty disgusting to see but setting that aside Arsenal need to win this game, Chris, in order to have a chance to finish above Spurs. Uh, we know that Giroud has a really good record against Villa, and we also know that Villa is a very poor team. Uh, and uh, I, I see a comfortable two, maybe three, nothing win here for Arsenal. Yeah, it'll. it'll I think it'll be a comfortable win. I, th- I think what you can say is we talk about Man United using that last game as a potential springboard or, or opportunity to convince doubters. don't think this is the same for Arsenal, unfortunately, because it's against Aston Villa, who, again, have seen pencils with more points to them at this precise moment. I, I think what you can say is, is that, again, for Arsenal, it seems like it's going to be all change again in the summer. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be, um, I would imagine, the end of, of Arsene Wenger's tenure, which is a shame for it to end on the note that it's going to end. Mm-hmm. Because I think hindsight is wonderful in so many ways. And, and in, in this regard, you just have to come away thinking he stayed a little bit longer than he should have. Um, because if you imagine 
if he'd gone maybe a few years prior, things would have been totally different. Wow. So you really do believe this is Wenger's last game? I'd, I'd be very surprised if it's not, just because of the fact that, again, they haven't achieved what they were supposed to. Not only have they seen a much smaller side overtake them in Leicester City, no disrespect to Leicester, they've also seen their fiercest rivals you kind of uh, usurp their position and, and you know destroy the idea of mind the gap and all these kind of right. pre-established theories that, that they are the biggest team in North London. Actually, if you're pitching the two clubs to a prospective exciting young talent, I imagine it's a little bit easier to pitch Tottenham at this precise moment because they've got a manager who seems to be able to develop young players. They've got a, uh, a system that actually seems to work. They're winning big and important games. Admittedly, I think they're only two points better off than they were under Villas-Boas in uh, his kind of first full season, which Again, it's that idea of numbers, facts, and truth being all different sort of things. Mm-hmm. I just think uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm actually. They, they, if they don't win, they're going to finish with less points than they did under Villas Bosch that season. Oh, did they? Oh, I thought they were two. I, I thought they were so. two points above. Okay. Well. Well, even still, I think it, you know it, it points to the idea of there being a, an important difference between the truth and facts. What I think you have to say is, is that they haven't progressed, and this. This was their biggest opportunity to win the league because of how many of their rivals, in inverted commas, fell off. The fact that City couldn't put it together. Man United fell off again. Liverpool couldn't put it together. This was their opportunity, and they didn't take it. And that's going to, I think, concern and upset a lot of Arsenal fans because they've seen a team in Leicester do it with marginally less financial clout um, and also a lot less in terms of what you would call experienced winners. I don't think they have a huge amount of, of league title winners in that Leicester squad. So you put those things together, it starts to make the position untenable, I think, for Wenger. Yeah, but, I, well, I have to say, I agree with pretty much everything you said, but I think it's contingent on who Arsenal can bring in, Karthik, because if if they're bringing in someone that is an obvious improvement to Wenger, then sure, if, if it's someone, uh, if, it, if it's a uh, Simeone, fair enough. But uh, there are a lot of issues because... You know, someone like Simeone probably won't be able to get his style of football out of the current personnel at Arsenal. So who do you go with that is an obvious improvement over uh, Wenger right now? We've said this uh, time and again. I think uh, this is why Liverpool jumped the gun and sacked Brendan Rodgers when they did. There was one obvious guy that could have taken most of these jobs that we keep speculating about. And, And Liverpool snapped them up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a very it's good difficult. question. I think Simeone would be the yeah Simeone would be the other one, but the style of football is different, completely different than what Wenger had had played. Yeah. Um, that having been said, I think maybe they need a, a stylistic change, a little more yeah. grit and pragmatism, which Simeone would bring. But if it's not him, I, I don't know that there's anyone that's that obvious out there. And you run the risk of, and I've heard more and more people say this the last week or two. You run the risk of going the way Man United did after Fergie left. So too soon for that, Karthik. Um, not that uh, Arsenal was <laughs> achieved in the last ten years. What Ferguson achieved in the right. final ten years at Manchester United. Like it's, it's the fact they that his influence permeates. Uh, do you the run club. the risk, especially yeah. in this more competitive Premier League atmosphere where we got Leicester winning the league, where I think West Ham is going to be a force to be reckoned with as they move into the new stadium? Southampton is stabilized as a top half club. Everton should be much better under any other manager. Uh, <laughs> do you run that risk of, of, of not only falling on the top four, but maybe falling on the top six? 
Yeah, as you can see, there's a lot more to discuss, and we will be discussing all of those things at the uh, at uh, when we come back midweek. Uh, sorry, when we come what back. What I would Sunday. say, just go ahead, Chris. Sorry, what I would say just quickly is that I don't think Arsenal fans are nearly as trying to think of the correct word. I should be able to give in my profession. <laughs> I don't think they're that bothered about playing beautiful football at this point. I don't think they're that yeah. idealistic. That's the word I was looking for. I don't think they're that idealistic now. I think they just want to win stuff. Because again, and this is something that always comes to the fore when teams are relegated and when teams win stuff. Nobody really remembers how you won stuff sure. or how you stayed up. They just remember that you won stuff and stayed up. Fair enough. That's a good way to end tonight's podcast, guys. We will be back on Sunday to review the final weekend of the Premier League season. And we'll also preview the Europa League final uh, that we've talked about with Liverpool. Uh, Until then, on behalf of Christopher Harris, myself, Nipun Chopra, and Kristen Hennage, Karthik. Enjoy your football.